I was quite interested to discover that Jesus himself mentions Naaman in a highly unpopular message he gave in his hometown of Nazareth. Now, we just love it when pastors open up with, oh, let's turn to Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. And we go, yeah, amen, brilliant, preach it. And that's absolutely right, no problem. But what we often miss is the sharpness of the telling off that follows this opening statement. We're right with him at the beginning, and then it starts to get a little bit more, Jesus is treading on people's toes. Jesus tells those in Nazareth that no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And he says this, he goes on to say this, and this is kind of confirmation of the lack of faith in God in Israel at the time of Naaman. It says this, many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, not an Israelite or a Jew, but a Syrian. And understandably, the crowd are not too chuffed with this point about their own history. So what does that tell us about loyalty? It tells us that loyalty between God and people is a bit of a two-way street. The flow of loyalty has a big impact, both in the origin of where it comes from and where it's headed to. God fully loves the people of Israel, and he, just as he fully loves you and I. But if we're not loyal to him, we step into a world of consequences that God cannot fully protect us from. Let's put it slightly differently. If, our free, if we allow our free will to do so, we can get into massive trouble if that free will is oriented away from God and not towards him. Uh, as the teachers often say in my boys' school, hey boys, it's about rights and responsibilities. And sometimes we want just the rights, but not the responsibilities. So the king of Israel at this time was a guy called Joram. He was the son of Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, not, great parent, not a great parenting uh, uh, sort of thing to have on your CV, is it really? Um, and he was on the throne of Israel at the time of Naaman. And so you, you can kind of get a flavor of the moral quality and the leadership just from that. Uh, Joram was not a good man. Idol worship was rife and God was not first. Israel may have been the Lord's chosen nation to carry his love to the world, but they aren't doing much about it. Uh, and they have expressed their greatest disloyalty by turning their backs on God, which they should not have done. And so Aram and Israel are not best buddies, and God's favor seems to rest with Naaman despite this issue of his leprosy. And as a result of these raiding parties between these two nations, Naaman's household now contains a young Israelite girl who is a captive, a slave, and someone working as a maid for Naaman's wife. 2 Kings 5 verse 3. Let's move on. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Now, it is really important that you don't miss how massively significant that is. That statement there is really big. Despite being a captive in a foreign land, this servant girl wished her master well. In fact, she saw the relationship to her new boss in the light of her loyal relationship to God. And that's a key point I'm going to be bringing out a little bit later on about loyalty. Out of her love for God, she demonstrated loyalty to her new boss even though he was her enemy, 
and a foreigner to her and had taken her captive. She genuinely wanted the best for him, and she understood there was a person with a great ministry who could genuinely solve his healing need. Now, I don't know about you, but it would have been so easy for her to display disloyalty and rebellion, given what has happened to her. But she does not. And that's big. There are a couple of authors uh, who, uh, a few years back, uh, brought a book out called The Knowing Doing Gap. And it was aimed at businesses. And in this book, they tried to explore why people in workplaces often know what to do, but don't do it. So the knowledge is up here of what to do and how to be, but for some reason, they kind of don't do it. And they were really fascinated by, well, why do people do that sometimes? And one of the reasons that they gave in the book is that people avoid knowing what they want and avoid doing what they know to do out of a subtle rebellion because they feel they've perhaps been treated unfairly. Because you've got your written contract, haven't you, in your job, but then you've also got like kind of emotional contract, haven't you? And if you've got like a pig of a boss, your emotional contract shuts right down and you're going home at four o'clock and there's no special favors or extra goodwill, is there? And they wanted to explore that knowing doing gap. Now, this slave girl had every reason to believe that she'd been treated unfairly, but there was no knowing doing gap for her. She was loyal both to God and to her boss. She knew something, but she didn't keep it to herself. She does something with what she knows, and there's no integrity gap. And so she speaks up to Naaman's wife about what she knows about Elisha and about God. And then his wife tells Naaman, let's see what happens next, but don't miss how big that is. 2 Kings uh, chapter 5, 4 and 6 says this. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet. The king of Aram told him, I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant, servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. I want you to note a moment the upward loyalty from Naaman to the king in telling him what the girl had said. You know, a great hallmark of loyalty is to run stuff past your boss. Run things past your leaders. Don't keep them in the dark. Never, ever hit your boss or manager with a surprise if you can possibly avoid it. That's a great rule of thumb for loyal working. Equally, note the downward, extended, gracious loyalty of the king back to Naaman. He sends him with a letter, with gifts, with advocacy, and he gives him leave to visit. In fact, he takes a chance on on the visit because they're enemies. Naaman says, hey, I want to go and see the king of Israel, and I imagine the the king of Aram would have said, well, if you must, that's fine but they're not like big pals. I guess he probably figured that Naaman could look after himself as the captain or the commander of the army. Second Kings 5.7. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. And the contrast between the king of Aram and the king of Israel is really stark. The king of Aram was completely prepared out of great loyalty to be Naaman's advocate. The king of Israel, on the other hand, 
was not even willing to go down that path. Loyalty is seeing what you can do to steer someone to the right place and not disowning the situation. Have you ever had that in a customer service situation before where you're trying to take a complaint to someone and their ownership of it is just appalling? And you kind of end up saying, well, can I speak to your boss, please? And it's, they just don't want to help you and they can't steer you anywhere. And I would suggest companies that have that kind of attitude do not end up having loyalty in their customer base. You know, another way of what the king, says to, what the king of Israel says to uh, Naaman is, well, why are you coming to me with that? I can't help you. Well, actually, he could have done. Have you also noticed how the king of Israel immediately believes the worst of the king of Aram? Believing the worst of someone is also the total opposite of loyalty. Don't you think? It's really horrible being around people who believe the worst of you or suspect the worst out of you. Now, I'm not discounting past conflict or difficulties, you know, and suspicion and cynicism might well be well-founded from those past disagreements. But it could also mean that you're missing out on what God is doing now. I think forgiveness is that engine from God that allows you to systematically unpick and wash out cynicism from past disloyalties and injustice. A great definition of loyalty is, I believe the best of you. I believe the best of you. Um, Pastor uh, Craig Groeschel in the States has a statement of affirmation, which is, I love people and I believe the best of them. That's great to have that in a pastor, isn't it? You don't want, mm, not sure about you, <laughs> as a foundational start point. That's not helpful. So a great definition of loyalty is believing the best of someone. 2 Kings 5.8, let's move on. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to, to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. Just like the servant girl, Elisha acts on what, he, uh, what uh, sorry, just like the servant girl, Elisha acts on what he knows to do. And that's because he's loyal to his ministry and he's loyal to God. He does not hold back out of fear of the king, but he stands up and he does what he's called to do. Jesus taught us sometimes that we have parallel or even conflicting loyalties, but that we should always give to, aim to give to God what is God's and to give to whoever is in charge what is theirs too, if we can. Do you remember with that coin he said, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's? And it's kind of a helpful way of trying to, trying to say, well, we've got to balance those things. I don't know about you, but I also detect a bit of a rebuke here from Elisha to the king of Israel. Uh, I think the, the underlying thing he's saying is, hey, you're not a great king, but I am a true prophet. Israel is morally in a mess but I know God, and, and, and my ministry um, is not stopping because you can't get your act together. There's a little bit of a dig there from uh, Elisha to the king, I think. So what then happens? Right, 2 Kings 5, 9, and 12. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message, Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you'll be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. 
I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord, his God. Notice at this point, it's his God, not Naaman's God yet. That's coming. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? And so Naaman turned away and went in a rage. Now, when we imagine how something ought to play out, based on our expectations and our sense of entitlement, we can get angry if it doesn't work out that way, uh, which is a, a lesson that England fans have been teaching us for 50 years. Get angry because they think they own the World Cup. Although that said, I think we are closer to it than we've been for a very long time. I think loyalty to God often begins or it starts through God disrupting the normal, our sense of expectation, our sense of entitlement or, or normality and pushing through that. And at that point, when there's a realization that that's happened, I think a lot of our loyalties start to realign. I remember the day in 2000 when an elder in a church had a word for me. And at that point, I knew God was real. That undermined my sense of, of, of expectation and, and what was normal. And I think that was part of my journey towards loyalty in God. But at this moment, Naaman is more loyal to his expectations and his entitlement than what God might do for him. And that's a dangerous place to be. Did you spot also that that kind of sense of national pride crept back into what Naaman was saying? Hey, my rivers are greater than yours. 2 Kings 5, 13, 14, let's continue. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says, Simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Amen. There are some great things about loyalty here. Do not be so loyal to your great big fat ego and your status and your personal pride. As a great military captain, I think the danger for Naaman would have been to anticipate having to undertake some great and arduous and difficult job or task. And therefore, the danger would be that he would have looked down on something really easy to do, like washing a river seven times. So sometimes doing something easy feels beneath us because we're so used to doing the hard thing and getting credit for that. And then it's really hard to do the easy thing. And our personal pride gets kind of tangled up in it and we get led off down the wrong track with a misplaced loyalty to ourselves. Now I think Naaman's officers demonstrate fantastic and brave upwards loyalty, just as the slave girl did. They speak up and they challenge Naaman by rightly saying, he would have done the hard thing, so why not the easy thing? They exercised loyalty to Naaman in their long-term vision for him as a man in need, and they were prepared to risk his displeasure in the process. When's the last time you've gone to your boss and been prepared to risk dis his displeasure to say something true that will benefit him and benefit your organization? Now, that is a hard thing to do, to speak truth to power. It is. But sometimes our loyalty needs to kick in and we need to see the big picture and speak up. I actually also think this is a great picture of salvation by faith. 
where all we need to do is the simple thing. And we simply need to receive. As opposed to doing loads and loads of mighty works in order to earn salvation or healing. In other words, heed the advice of the servant girl. Listen to your, your junior officers when they talk to you. Understand the, the direct command of the man of God and do the easy thing, which is to simply receive, rather than imagining it's always down to you to do amazing big deeds all the time. We do not have to strive. We sometimes just have to receive. Um, our worship leader, Kevin, uh, led us in a great devotion. Every Thursday morning, our team get together and we have a, a devotional time. And he uh, led us through Psalm 23 and he made a great point. He said, sheep follow they don't strive. Naaman just needed to follow. It wasn't down to him to achieve this by conquest. Now, pastors love Naaman because he gets there, doesn't he, in the end? He follows and he actually does do what the man of God instructs. He does do what his uh, officers tell him. He listens to his wife. Amen to that. Church, pay heed to your pastors and please do your best to do what they instruct you. And what happens out of this obedience from, from, Nathan, uh, from, uh, from Naaman? Sorry, Naaman gets healed. And ultimately, it's Naaman's willingness to be loyal to the counsel of those around him that results in his healing. You still with me? I know it's really, really hot, isn't it? Hang in there. You're doing well. God is able to move in our obedience. One of the great tests of obedience well, one of, the, one of the true tests of loyalty, I'm sorry, is obedience. And one of the true tests of disloyalty or, uh, is, is rebellion and disobedience. You know that there's disloyalty in the house when there's disobedience going on. And what happens is Naaman gets skin as healthy as a young child. And, and, and in the Hebrew, there's a parallel between the young girl at the beginning and her, and, and her presence and this skin of a young boy. And the, and the difference in the words is only minimal. And the writer's saying, listen, if you have the faith like a young child, you will get uh, the results of a childlike faith. 2 Kings 5, 15 and 16, then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him and Naaman said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. Naaman's healing, and I suspect this is true for many of us when we've had a real encounter with God, Naaman's healing prompts a newfound declaration of loyalty to God in his faith. He says, now, he says, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. And out of his new loyalty, he wants to give a gift, and that's totally understandable. But notice how Elisha turns it down out of loyalty to God. Elisha does this because he's keen to ensure that his ministry relationship with God cannot be twisted or affected by financial gifts. You know, one of the reasons that we say it's much better for you to tithe to your local church than to give directly to an individual, however much you admire the ministry of that individual, is it protects that individual from financial bribes, of becoming, of linking their ministry with, with money. It also means Elisha is basically asserting his primary loyalty is to God, and his ministry comes from God. 
And it also makes sure Naaman understands that it's God that's done it and not Elisha. Elisha shows us a great upward loyalty to the person to whom all credit for the healing must go, and that that's the Lord God. Have you noticed how disloyal people don't do that? They don't give credit where it's due, and they try and cream off a little bit, or all of it, for themselves. Hands up here, anyone who did English literature at school as a subject. Anyone here did that? Perhaps you know GCSE or O-level, A-level? Do you remember uh, a, a, a written work called The Canterbury Tales by Geoffrey Chaucer? Anyone read any of those for, for their studies? Well, in The Canterbury Tales, uh, there was a story from a guy called a pardoner. And a pardoner was someone you could buy a pardon from. So if Danny here was a pardoner, I could go to him and say, Danny, if I give you five quid, would you pardon me my sin? And, and like, the, you know, he would say, yeah, that's fine. And I'd give him the five quid and I'd effectively receive a pardon. Now, that isn't how it should work. That kind of lines Danny's pocket and it means I feel absolved, but it's taken God right out of the equation. Simon the sorcerer in Acts uh, wrongly thinks he can buy ministry power from God. Elisha understands that it's a sin to try to buy what God is deciding to give. Now, that doesn't mean we can't give a gift or we can't give a tithe or we can't support our local church, but there's, do, you under, do you see that Elisha's setting out proper ministry loyalty lines here for his own ministry? So far, so good. So 2 Kings 5, 17 and 18, then Naaman said, all right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place and I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other God except the Lord. However, may the Lord pardon me in this one thing. When my master, the king, goes into the temple of the god Rimmon to worship there and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me when I bow too. Go in peace, Elisha says. So Naaman started home again. So what we see in this last section here is that Naaman's requesting some earth from Israel on which to build an altar to be able to worship God back home. And he declares his loyalty to God, and he also starts to understand something really important, that the role he has as the servant to the king of uh, of Aram is that he must serve both God and the king. And where perhaps in the past worship in the temple of Rimmon just didn't matter, now it really does matter because his spiritual loyalties have become realigned. Many of us in this room can point to the day when our spiritual loyalties got realigned and we, we decided, a bit like uh, Naaman, that we were going to do things slightly different, differently from that point forward. Amen? So he asked the man of God, Elisha, for permission and understanding in how to interpret his new role in the light of the fact that he's got this new faith now in God. So Naaman's role, just to explain what's going on here, Naaman's role was to help the king of Aram kneel in the temple of Rimmon. And Naaman asks that God would see that in his heart, no worship is being given to Rimmon, just service to his king. Now, there's a twist in the tale that it's too hot and we don't have time to explore today. But let's just say that Elisha's servant Gehazi does not share his master's strict principles about the separation of money and, and ministry. And you can read about what happens to Gehazi in your Bible for yourselves. I've got three conclusions about loyalty for us today. And then we're going to be finishing uh, with some responses and some worship. The first thing about loyalty to say is this. All people 
come with loyalty, hardwired deep inside them by God. It's part of who you are. The issue is where we point that deep loyalty, or sorry, where we permit that deep loyalty to be pointed. So in other words, we all have loyalty right down on the inside of us, really deep. It's there. But the, the issue is, where do we point that loyalty? That's what's important. Where are we pointing it? So in other words, we're all really loyal, but to what? If we are mainly loyal only to ourselves, that is putting self at the center of your world. And I think we all get and understand the dangers of such a path. It's really significant that Jesus clarifies the greatest commandments that there are in terms of where are our loyalties pointing. If you think about it, this is what he says. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment or loyalty, if you like. A second equally important is love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two we could replace the word commandments with loyalty. Have you ever thought about it like that? But those two commandments are essentially about loyalty. So first of all, point your loyalties towards God. And secondly, get your loyalties towards people in balance so that your love for them is guided by how you would want them to treat you. Second big point I'd like to make about loyalty be loyal to God first. It's kind of prophetic that Paula said what she said in her offering. Be loyal to God first, and all your other loyalties will in time fall into their rightful place. She said, put the kingdom of heaven first, and then all these other things will be added to you. And that's very similar in principle, isn't it? And I didn't tell Paula what I was preaching on today. Be loyal to God first, and all your other loyalties will in time fall into their rightful places. So just hear me out on this. The slave girl could have been rebellious to her new owners. And boy, she had justification, didn't she? But she wasn't because she loved God. And so her loyalty to God helped her sort out that conflict of loyalties for her in her situation. Naaman could have missed out on his healing by being too loyal to his own pride and position. But he remained open to something, something new because of the upward loyalty of his officers underneath him and also of his wife. And of his king. Elisha's ministry could have been uh, railroaded by financial scandal. But it wasn't because he stayed loyal to God. Naaman got clarity about how to navigate a complicated worship situation. And potentially conflicting loyalties between God and king. And we find that more than we'd like to admit sometimes, don't we? Like we're watching something on TV and then there's a bit of the program that's really godly and then there's a bit that really isn't. What do we do with that? Naaman got clarity in those conflict situations. So if you're loyal to God, over time he will help you sort out all your other loyalties into their rightful places and, they, and, and then they will stack up for you in the correct order for you to live a godly life. We won't get pulled in the wrong directions or into ungodly places by loyalties not being place before God. Thirdly, your loyalty to God can have massive kingdom impact on others. Today's story traces its power and its impact back to the loyalty to God of the heart of an enslaved captive servant girl in a foreign land. She affected two kings 
and changed a great military commander's life forever. He got healed and saved through her loyalty. In fact, she and Elisha showed the nation of Israel how to behave. I would love it if people in BCC showed the nation of the UK how to behave in their moral conduct. And we should. If you are loyal to God, you can have a massive kingdom impact on others, no matter what your position or status or current setbacks or difficulties or captivities are. You can have a massive impact for God. And I'm going to ask our worship team uh, to come back to the platform. Let's all stand together. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you where you're standing. And as we begin to sing, here's how you can respond to this message. I want to encourage you to respond and engage with it. And if you feel like you're prompted by one of these things or all three, I prayed for a guy in the first service who felt he wanted to respond to all three, and that might be you. First thing, are there any loyalties in your life that you know are not pointing towards God? You guys can just start to play, that's fine. Are there any, is there anything that you've got lined up in your life that you, you kind of just know, do you know what, that is, that is not a godly thing. I know it's not a godly thing and I've allowed it. Are there any loyalties in your life that aren't pointing towards God? That's the first thing. Second thing, do you feel like you have a conflict of loyalties going on in your life, in your situation, in your circumstances, and you would love a bit of God's help and clarity in deciding just what on earth to do you don't know what to do you are genuinely stuck between conflicting loyalties well if that's you then come and do some time with God at the front and get some prayer thirdly something in your heart fired off when we were talking about I want my loyalty to have massive kingdom impact I want my loyalty to God to have lasting value and riches in heaven something in your heart said yeah I might be in the position I'm in but I want my loyalty to make a difference in heaven when we look back down the corridors of time I want it to have made a difference I want my loyalty to have God to have and it had an impact on others that lasts so I'm going to put up a little table for you to have a look at and it's got the conclusions and it's got how you can respond and we're going to go into a time of singing a little bit and then we'll come, I'm going to come back up and, and invite you back again. And we'll just go through those responses again. Kevin, would you lead us? Thank you.
sorting that out or maybe you just resonate with that servant girl's heart that she had loyalty to God from where she was and she ended up having massive kingdom impact and you just say to yourself in your heart yeah I want to be like her I want to have massive kingdom impact wherever I am so just as we sing would you come down and just you might want to just come and stand at the altar and do business with God you might want to come and take communion and realign your loyalties with God this morning. Maybe you're out of sync with Him completely and you need to get back right with Him. Come and take communion. And we would love to pray with you and to stand with you. Just come forward just as we're singing. Thank you, Kevin.
BCC, have a fantastic Sunday. Thank you so much for bearing with all the heat up here and uh, the fact that it's such a hot day. I just want to release you uh, to have a great week. If you're new at BCC, please uh, do come and say hi to us down in our welcome lounge. Take that opportunity to come and have communion if you haven't had that yet. And also, we would love to pray for you about any aspects of what you've heard today or just pray for you anyway. Uh, That would be our pleasure. But be released and be blessed. And we'll see you all next week.